Well, I've entitled this morning's message, Hills and Valleys. Now, because of the short notice of Pastor Joseph having to meet Kathy at the hospital, we're going to go ahead and just shift our, 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 our series of Peter down a week. So it'll start back up again. We'll get into part three of Second Peter next week, and you guys get a, a bonus message this week. So like I said, I've entitled the message, Hills and Valleys. And I've got to tell you a story. So anybody ever had a bearded dragon before? It's a, it's, a, it's a lizard. They're pretty cool lizards. They're big, fat-bodied, super awesome, tame lizards. And uh, so when I grew up, I wanted to be a herpetologist. I was into to snakes and bugs. And at one point in, when I was growing my mom, was, I don't know why she let me do it, but I had like probably 20-plus species of lizards and snakes and stuff in, in, in my bedroom. Um, but I loved that stuff. So anyway, several years back, I bought another bearded dragon, and I got him as a baby. And the thing about bearded dragons, they're supposed to be one of the, the coolest. They're tame. They're really chill. They're not flighty. They're just supposed to be awesome lizards to keep as pets. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get one. I bought him when he was little. And uh, I took care. I did all the right things. I held them because you're supposed to hold them to make sure that they get used to you. And, and uh, I, I did all the right things when he was little. I read all the books, did everything that I was supposed to do. But as he got older, he just got mean. He didn't get tame. He got mean. This was the meanest, beardest dragon I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he actually got worse as he got older. And by the time I finally had to get rid of him because I, he, as he got full-size adult, if I just stuck my hand in the cage, and this is a, a four-foot cage, he would sprint across the cage to try to bite me. And he got big enough that he was leaving blood. He was drawing blood. He was, he was biting hard. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I've got this guy because they're supposed to be the chillest lizards ever. I mean, you watch YouTube videos. You, watch, you go to the pet store and talk to them. You go to the, the, uh, the reptile show here in town. And like, they're just out on top of tables or hanging on people. They're the coolest lizards ever, except for mine, who was the spawn of Satan. And he was such a jerk. But I didn't get uh, why was he such a jerk. I did everything right. I did all the things the book's supposed to say you to do. I spent time with I did all the right stuff he was still a jerk. And I begin to, as I'm thinking of this story, I begin to realize that sometimes our spiritual walk is like this. We do all the right things. We do all the right stuff. We, we, we go to church. We spend time in prayer. We're faithful with our giving. We worship with everything that we have. We give everything. We're doing it all right. And it seems like everything is a mess around us. Anybody ever experienced like that? You feel like you're doing everything right. But nothing is going right around you. We begin to wonder, is God even around? Surely he sees what's going on. Because in our spiritual walk, we're going to experience hills and valleys. We're always going to face that. We're going to go up and we're going to go down. Sometimes we're going to feel like we're on top of the world. And we're going to feel like that everything is going right. And man, we can speak to mountains. And they're just jumping up out of the ground, jumping into the sea. Everything's going perfectly. But other times it seems like that there's nothing that we're doing is making a difference. That nothing that we're doing is gaining any traction. It seems like there's no breakthrough. And today I want to take a moment to, to, to look at the life of Elijah. <coughs> We went through many hills and valleys. The good news is what I love about when stuff's going wrong, I can just read the Bible and go, good, I'm not the only one. <laughs> There's some people of God here that, that God loves. They're, we know these are, these, are, these are people that God loved he was using, but they still have rough points. Let's go ahead and get started because like I said, we got a lot to get through. 
Uh, 1 Kings 17.1, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So let me give you a little background on what's going on here. The Jewish people, they depended on seasonal rains for the success of their crops. If the Lord didn't send the rain in early October or November or the latter rain, which was in March or April, there would soon be famine in the land. If there was no rain, there was no crops, no crops, there's no food, no food, people starve. Makes sense, right? So the blessing of the semiannual rains, though, it depended on what the Jewish people were doing. Were they obeying the covenant to the Lord? You can read about that in Deuteronomy 11. He says, basically, you, you obey me, you worship me, and, and I'll make sure that you get the rains you're going to get taken care of. If you don't, stuff's going to get rough. And the land belonged to the Lord, and if the people defiled the land with the sinful idols, and we're going to see that that's what's happening, they begin to worship Baal and all these other things, they're not following him anymore, the, the, the land is God's, and he says, well, if you're not going to follow me, then this is what happens, and, and, and this is where this is getting ready to start, and, and the reason why everything is such a mess is because Ahab is king at the moment right now, and in 1 Kings 16, it says that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Who would like you to have, who would like to have that written about them? You're terrible, even more terrible than everybody else. So Ahab, he's doing all kinds of evil stuff. He's leading the nation astray, sending them down the, the wrong path. He's made Baal worship the, essentially the national religion of the time. And now we have Elijah who's beginning to show for the first time. He's one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. And this is actually, uh, this time frame is when we meet him for the first time. And Elijah is in step with God. When Elijah speaks, it's just like God is speaking. And uh, his name even means Yahweh is my God. That's a pretty cool name. So there's no confusion at who he is. And he's beginning to be used by God to demonstrate to all of Israel that God is God and that the Baals are not God. Amen? They, they need to have their eyes opened again because sometimes we get confused. And I think that happens to us as well. We, it's so easy to, to, to forget that God is God. And, you know, we go through life and all, the uh, jobs aren't the way we want them or money's not coming in the way we want it. It feels like we don't have enough. And we begin to focus on other things instead of focusing on God, which is strange because if we would just focus on God and make sure that he takes care of us. But so Elijah's coming to get Israel's focus back on God. And Elijah's standing before the king and he declares that there's going to be no rain except at his word. He says, you know what? No rain except by my word. How many of you know that's a bold statement? How many of you got the kind of faith to get up and say something like that? Elijah, he's on top of a mountain right now. He's in step with God. He's got the boldness to say, it is not going to rain except by my word. And this is a significant judgment. <laughs> Because we just talked, without rain, without, without the, the, the former and latter rain, without the, the, the spring rains, there's, there's no growth, there's no food, there's no crop, there's nothing. And the point of this is to show the people of Israel that it's God in control and not Baal, right? They're confused. They think that Baal's are their gods. They think that they're in control of everything. They think that, that they're the one that's bringing the rain, they're bringing the food, they're bringing everything. And God's like, well, not so much. So God is showing them that he's in control and he's using Elijah. And Elijah, I, I can't, I mean, I've stood out in faith before, but, but uh, that's some kind of faith to say that the rain is not going to come. Imagine the confidence 
in the Lord that Elijah has to make this kind of statement. Now, I thank God that my faith is growing every day, and I get closer and closer to making these kind of statements. But uh, I still got some growing to do. But Elijah is on a spiritual hill. He's on the top of the world. But what we're going to find out is that even when he's on top of this hill, it's not going to work out quite like he thought it was going to work out. So it says in Second uh, Kings, or sorry, First Kings, verses seventeen through two through seven, it says, "And the word of the Lord came to him: Depart from here." And this came to him. This is to uh, Elijah: Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a little while, after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So now from the outside in, it looks like that Elijah was just on top of this mountain, but he's getting ready to start to head into a valley. But things are still looking good because uh, the circumstances from the outside looking in don't look very good, but there's no indication that Elijah's concerned. So even though he's starting to head downhill from an outside perspective looking in, Elijah's still top of the world spiritually. He knows God's going to take care of him because he trusted God. But it's interesting that after this massive declaration of power. This ma- I mean, Elijah got up and said, there's not going to be rain until I speak. What's the next thing God says him? Run. That seems kind of weird. Top of the world, I just said there's no rain going to come. And God tells him to run. Tells him to go hide. Go hide up in the mountains by this, this little brook. <coughs> And uh, this is interesting to me because I think if, if I was God, and this is why I'm not, but if I was God, I would be sending my angels down to protect him. I would make sure he was taken care of. I mean, I would have I had a cave full of food for him. He would have had everything ready and put together because this is my man. This is the guy that I'm trusting to do everything, but that's not how it turns out. It seems that while he's hiding, after God just told him to hide, after that massive power display of power, God's power through Elijah, he says, go hide in a cave. And then he adds insult to injury. He says, I get it. You're a Jew. And, uh, you know, you can't eat anything unclean. But I'm going to send all your food by a bird that's unclean. <laughs> he sends the ravens to take care of him. Now, you got to imagine, like to us, like, it, they're like that's pretty cool. The ravens are coming. But you got to understand that this was an unclean uh, bird. This is, this, is, this is a dirty bird. They couldn't eat it. They couldn't touch it. If they touched it, they weren't fit to go to worship. I mean, this is crazy. What God is, 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 is doing, it's like, it just keeps getting worse and worse. First I got to run, now I got to eat this, this food that's been touched by ravens. And then after that, all of a sudden the brook dries up. At least he had water, but now he doesn't even have water. It's getting rough. And you can look at it in a couple different ways. Is God letting Elijah down? Or is God taking care of him against all odds? Is God letting Elijah down or is God using unconventional means? Not the way that Elijah would have done it, not the way that you and I would have done it, but God has taken care of him no matter what. He made sure there was a brook with water in the midst of a drought. He made sure that food was coming from him. And it's not like it was occasionally. It says in the morning and evening, and these birds are smart. They're bringing bread. Where are they getting bread? Who's still baking? And these birds are stealing from them. Imagine that person. I'm using my last weed. Everything's run out. And, and they, they turn their back for a second. And they, they look. Ah! The bird takes off with the bread. 
they got it rough too. One thing I want you to see, though, is that even when you're doing everything right, things may not be the way that you expected them or want them to be. Elijah is on top of the world with the power of God behind him, says there's not going to be any rain until I say so. But he still had to experience the drought with the rest of Israel. He still had to go through that in this unconventional way of, of God taking care of him. And Israel's experiencing a rough time right now, and everybody now is blaming Elijah. I mean, can you imagine being, that's why he had to hide. Everybody thinks it's his fault. It's like when your kids do something to get in trouble, and they blame you for it because you grounded them. One of the things I always do with my kids is, and when they were little, is, is as they would get in trouble, they'd be mad at me. I'd walk in, are you mad at me? Yes. Why are you mad at me? Because you got me in trouble. Well, why are you in trouble? Because this happened. Well, who did that? I did. So who got you in trouble? So then later years, I'd walk in. Are you mad at me? No. Because <laughs> I knew I'd walk them through it. But see, that's what's happening, right? Uh, Ahab is leading his people into all kinds of stupidness. God uses Elijah to proclaim judgment. And now everybody's mad at Elijah like it's his fault. But even through this awful time, God's taking care of him. Even though his living arrangements and his eating arrangements, they were strained at best, God is still taking care of him. Sometimes we're going through stuff and we think that God isn't taking care of us, but you have no idea how bad it would be if God wasn't taking care of you. If God wasn't making sure that you were there. If God wasn't taking care of Elijah, he wouldn't have had food, water, or anything. It's like, man, this is rough. It doesn't look good, but God's actually meeting every single need. If everything's not working out in your life as you expect it to, it doesn't mean that God isn't there. Because here's the thing that I know. God promised to never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. That's not like a, I usually won't, or I probably won't, or, you know, if you're, if you're good enough, I won't. That's a promise. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. If he's your Lord and Savior, he's there with you. Recognize that God is still going to take care of you in your mountains and in your valleys, even if it doesn't look like you expect it. And remember that even if things don't look like you expect them to, it doesn't mean that you're screwing up. Because sometimes we just have to go through valleys. We have to ride out these hills and valleys, the ups and downs. It's important we don't get caught up in either one. That's when we get into a mess. That's why Paul said, I, I, I always look forward. I don't look behind me. I forget what lies behind. Paul wasn't just talking about the bad stuff. He was talking about the good stuff too. If you get hung up in that stuff, you're not looking forward. You're looking back. And you can't progress if you're looking back. So instead, look forward. Right off the hills and the valleys. Know that God is going to be with you. And as the story continues in 1 Kings 17, 8-12, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, I can't, a crow just stole it. No, that's not what she said. She said, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil and a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's a miserable place to be. Everything's so bad. She's just like, we're going to have one last meal and, and, and give up. 
But you got to imagine now the drought has gone on for quite a long time. And that little brook that was providing, to, to providing water to Elijah has now dried up. And he's given instructions by God to go meet this widow. And now God's operating outside the box again. Right? How I many of you are like, if I'm having a rough time, I want God to send me to the millionaire's house. I want God to send me to the one with all the food. I want God to send me the one with all the water that has everything that I need. But nope, he sends him to a widow. And you've got to understand that, that widows today struggle, but widows back then, it was a whole lot worse because they had no one to take care of them. They couldn't work. They weren't allowed the same rights and privileges. They didn't have all the same, uh, they had much more struggles. They couldn't get a job. They could, they, a lot of them just were left to die. So he sends her to a, a widow who has nothing. A widow, the widow is not wealthy. And on top of that, it's in the middle of a drought, so she's got nothing. She's got a couple little bit, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And uh, I wonder what's going through Elijah's head. Like, you ever got that feeling where you're like, really, God, this now? I don't, don't I have enough? Haven't I already gone through enough? Has anybody ever felt that way? I know I have. Imagine Elijah. He's like, really, God? I've been doing everything you want me to do. I've been living up on a mountain, eating food coming from some nasty birds, drinking water that's been drying up. The last drink I just had, it was all like muddy and gross. And now you send me to a widow who has nothing to take care of me? Really? Really? I imagine. Maybe that's, that's how I read the Bible. I'm wondering what these people are thinking because we only see what they write down, right? But... They're just like us. Elijah was a man just like anybody. He was a person just like anybody in this room. He thought the same things just like anybody in this room. I wonder if he was questioning, am I hearing God right? Am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? I wonder if he was like, finally, God's taken me away from the brook. Finally, we're making some progress. And then he sends me to a broke widow. But he goes because... The thing that we can learn from Elijah is that even if it doesn't look like you expect it, trust God. Trust God. He's going to take care of you. So now imagine being this widow, right? So she's broke. She got no food. She got nothing. She's heading back to gather up the last little bit of sticks to go back and make one little cake, and they're going to die. And she's got this guy saying, hey, go ahead and uh, bring me a little water and a vessel that I might drink. This is the middle of a drought. You know who has water? Nobody. And he says, bring me some water and a vessel that I may drink. And then he says, as, so she says yes. So I don't know what's going through this lady's head. And like, probably because she's so, uh, the women, particularly widows at the time, were so oppressed that she didn't have a choice, she figured. So she goes, bring him water. And then he says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand too. And she's like, really? What is going through her head? Can you imagine being this widow? She certainly doesn't think God's taking care of her. Some dude just showed up, big old long beard. Doesn't look like he's bathing a while because he's been by a brook to run out of water. And he shows up and he wants all her food and water. I wonder what she's thinking. And the droughts hit her hard. She's got nothing. And finally she says, you know what? Look, I don't have it. This is literally what I was doing today. My checklist, make last meal and die. That's all that was on it. And he's trying to mess it up. All she can do is the last part and die. He can't, she can't even eat, have her last meal. She seems like she's in one of those valleys. 
Now, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, but let's go ahead and keep going. And 17, 1 Kings 17, verses 13 through 16, it says, And Elisha said to her, Do not fear, go do as you have said, but first make me, <laughs> do as you have said, but first make me some. Then you can go ahead and make some for your kid to, you know, to eat and die. So Elisha said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and, and, she and he and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the story, but imagine what she's thinking, the nerve of this guy. It's like, oh, I feel really bad for you, but bring me some first. I mean, think what she's thinking. She says, not only do I not have anything, just a little bit, he says, that's good, bring, it, bring me what you have. I, I just can't imagine what she's going through. I can't imagine the things that are going through her head. And, and we have the benefit of knowing, like I said, the rest of the story. We know that if she, if she is obedient, if she obeys the word of God, she obeys this prophet, she's going to be taken care of for some time. She's going to have plenty of flour. Can you imagine seeing that? The, just pour the flour, it just keeps coming out. You ever seen those videos of the little kids that get in the flour and they got flour everywhere? Imagine if it was a jar that didn't run out. Can you imagine what kind of mess they could make with that? So the, the flour's not running out. She listens. She trusts God. The oil doesn't run out. The flour doesn't run out. She has everything that she needs until rain comes. She eats for many days. I mean, this is an amazing thing to see God do such an incredible miracle. All because in her valley, when she thought things couldn't get worse, she did something that seemed crazy that God wanted her to do. You know, I look at my life, you know, the crazy things that have happened to me like that is, is when I looked at my checking account, I said, man, I either got rent or tithe. What am I going to do? And I go ahead and tithe because I trust God. And he always makes sure it works out, even though it seems crazy. It doesn't make any sense. So she listens and she trusts God. And now we got Elijah climbing back out of the valley on top of the hill, right? Because things were rough, rough, rough. And now it's like, oh, God, I see how God's doing this. And now he's climbing on the word because at the, at the word of the Lord that was spoke by Elijah, now the, the stuff's not running out. And we see this miracle happen. And you got to imagine miracles are commonplace in the presence of Elijah now. We're seeing some amazing things. If, if Elijah speaks, this is just as good as if God had spoken audibly himself. Elijah is back up on a hill. He's back up on top. But one thing I think, like I said, we can take from this, whether you're on top or you're in the valley, it doesn't always work out how we expect it to work out. Sometimes we've got to trust God even when it doesn't make any sense, when it seems crazy. When everything is perfect, it's very easy to let our eyes fall away from God. It's very easy to be distracted and to, to well, everything's going great. And I don't think we do it intentionally, but what we're basically saying is, Everything's going great. What do I need God for? And our eyes fall away from Him. But if you actually step back and look, it's easy to see in your life. When you look back, you know, the benefit of uh, 2020 vision looking behind you is, is that you can see where God was moving in your life, even when you didn't know He was there at the time. Because there's no doubt that God moves. And in verses 20 through 21, it says, And He cried to the Lord, Oh my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow. So we're going... 
in the future a little bit. He says, he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. Then he stretched himself up upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come to him again. So this is a widow. If you guys don't know the story, uh, Elijah stays with her and, and uh, he tells her that she's going to have a son. And she has a son and now her son has died. So this is rough because when Elijah speaks, it's like God speaking. God says, you're going to have a son. She has a son, and then the child dies. Have you ever been, to, ever been in a situation where it seems like things are going good? It seems like you're getting some traction, and then all hell breaks loose again? Anybody ever been in that situation? That's what she's going through. So she's, Elijah shows up. She has her son that she's been waiting for, and things are getting traction. And all of a sudden, the son dies. It's feeding her and her son. There's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And then her son dies. And Elijah himself is shocked as well. This actually kind of shocks Elijah as well. He, he says, God, really? Like, what are you, that, that's how you would say it today. Really? Like, God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned, killing her son? Now, if you have never read the story, you know that this boy lives. Elijah prays. This child life is coming to him. And as a result of this tragedy, in verse 24, this woman says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is your, in your mouth is, your, is truth. She publicly declares her faith in the God of Israel. She has a change of mind when she begins to see God work, even when it's not the way that she expected. And one of the things that I'm beginning to understand is that more and more as I read his word and as I see it actually work out in my own life is that we do most of the learning in our valleys. We do most of our growing in our valleys. We do most of, of getting strong in the Lord in our valleys because that's when we finally put our trust in him. Like I said, when we're on top of the world, all too often we live like we don't need him anymore because everything's going great. But when we hit our valleys, that's when we begin to put our faith and trust in him. Now, I don't believe for one moment that God causes these valleys in your life. When you've got stuff awful going on in your life, it's not God causing it. But God will use those situations to strengthen you, to help you grow, to get out of the other side. And it's this growth that actually spurs us up our next hill. You see, without this terrible tragedy that happened in her life, her faith would have never grown like it did in that moment. And God knows what's going to happen. God knew he was going to raise this boy from, from the dead. God wasn't confused. God wasn't surprised. Even, even if Elijah didn't know exactly what was going on, God knew what was going on. It's like the story of, of Lazarus when he goes in the tomb, right? So Jesus hears uh, that, that Lazarus is sick. They send to, hey, come home uh, because Lazarus is sick. We need you to, if you're here, you can do something. And Jesus is like, oh, hey, he's sick. I'm going to hang out a few more days. And at this time, Lazarus dies. He's been in the tomb for several days at this point. And he comes back, and, and Jesus is out front. And, and what I've always found interesting on that is, is Jesus wasn't surprised by what was happening. He knew it was going to happen. He knew he was dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. It wasn't a shock to Jesus. Jesus didn't show up three days late and all of a sudden have an epiphany at the last moment. Wait a minute. I'm the son of God. Maybe I'll raise him. He knew what he was doing the whole time. It was always the plan of God to show his power and call Lazarus. This is the same thing here. We're not shocking God. We're not surprising God. If you'll let him, God will work in your life, and he makes things work out for us. It gives him glory 
And he makes sure that we get through every situation that we're going through. And if we skip forward a little bit further, we're, we're a whole chapter ahead. It says, so Ahab, uh, chapter 18, verses 20 through 21. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So after a bit, the drought's been going on for a while. God tells Elijah to confront Ahab. And after Ahab basically accuses Elijah of being the troubler of Israel, Elijah reminds him that it was actually him and his father's house that's the problem, and they abandoned, have abandoned God to follow the Baals. So Elijah tells him to go gather up all the prophets of Baal. We're going to head up to the top of Mount Carmel. And uh, once he gets to the top of the mountain, this is how Elijah addresses him. He says, listen, people, how long are you going to be between two different things? And I would encourage you today to ask yourself that question. How long are you going to be between two different things? What is in your life that is acting as something that is keeping your eyes off of God? What have you made more important than God in your life? How long are you going to bounce between those two things? Or are you finally just going to put your trust in Him? It says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, or for, for all of us, if anything else is in place of God, follow that. But pick one. Quit limping, or as Jesus would say, quit being lukewarm. He says the, the people didn't answer him a word. So now you remember, if you know the rest of the story, it's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Because they get on top of the mountain. Elijah starts challenging him and says, you know what? You go ahead and build an altar, and we're going we're gonna to see if you can call down rain, and then we'll give you a shot. And Elijah says the funniest stuff. He basically says, as they're going around, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. Elijah begins marking him and says, hey, yell louder. Maybe he's busy or he's pooping. That's basically what it says. That's the New Wayne translation. That's basically what it says. He says, he's pooping. Maybe you got to yell louder to get him out of there. And then finally, Elijah goes ahead and, and uh, he builds his altar and he says, hey, bring me all that water and pour it on here. And you may not realize it because you're thinking, wow, that's pretty crazy. He's going to wet all the wood and that's going to make it harder to burn. But that's not the significance of the water. What's going on at this time? It's a drought. He basically just asked them to pour gold on the fire. Every, everything that was valuable. What they, this may have been, we don't even know how much water they had left, but they certainly didn't have a lot. And he's saying, pour it out on the ground. That's what was significant about that water. And he says, pour it out on the ground and it's going to fill up the trench. And wait, that's not enough. Do it again. And they pour more water on, and, then, and then, then Elisha begins to pray, and fire comes down from heaven and burns it all up. You see, Elijah was willing to sacrifice something that was infinitely valuable to his God. Truthfully, I mean, that could have been the water. I don't know. That could have been the water that, that was all that was left. Maybe that's what they had to survive on, and he gave it all up. The thing is, is that Elijah knew what he was about, and he knew what God he was serving. He was way up on a hill, amen? In 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46, as we go on, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. So this is after all this has happened. Fires come down. Rain is getting ready to come. So this is Elijah's word. He says to Ahab, There is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the, knee, on the earth and put his face between his knees. 
And he said to a servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times. Imagine this guy. He's got to be getting annoyed. Go look. <sighs> nothing. Go again. <sighs> Can you have, do you guys not read the Bible like I do? I think about this stuff. This is... We don't have the whole story, so sometimes you've got to make it up in your head. I wonder how these, I just, I imagine these people are a lot more like me than, than we think that they are. So he says, there's nothing. And he says, go again, seven times. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down, and lest the rain stop you. So he goes up and he begins to pray. Sends his servant like a hundred times. He ain't got no water either. I don't know how far this was that he had to go to see the sea, but uh, I imagine it wasn't a good time. And then God moves, right? We're, we're, we're expecting fire had just come down to heaven. God was moving in a powerful way. Now God's getting ready to move again. And what is it? It's like a little cloud the size of a man's hand. God doesn't work how we expect him to work. You see, we're all thinking it's going to be like, like one of them hurricanes or tsunamis we see on. That's how it's going to start. We know it's coming. You see the lightning and the flashes and the power in the distance. But nope, little cloud, little, little tiny cloud. It always amazes me that God doesn't work. And we see this, right? How's God going to save the world? Super powerful, mighty warrior? Nope, little baby. The most, uh, as far as taking care of themselves, the most useless thing Babies can't take care of themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't bathe. They can't do anything. They are literally completely dependent on everyone around them. Little cloud. God sins. But God does amazing things. And he doesn't do them the way that we think that he's going to do them. And, but Elijah, so the, the, I imagine the servant, right? The seventh time he goes up there, he's like, finally there's a cloud. But he's probably, he's probably not impressed. But Elijah recognizes the move of God. He says, we got to get up and get moving. We don't have much time. Go tell Ahab, we got to get down. He says, otherwise, if you don't hurry up, you're going to get caught up in the rain. And the servant's like, you got all that from that little? Are we looking at the same cloud? But finally, the rain is coming. And this is the symbol to the nation because the prophets of Baal were all dead. Uh, if you've read the story, I didn't mention it, but afterwards Elijah goes and kills all the prophets of Baal. They're all dead now, and not only is the physical drought ending, but the spiritual drought is ending in Israel as well. We've demonstrated that God is God, the Baals are not. We're going to have a spiritual awakening. But the story doesn't go quite how Elijah expects. Because if we get forward a little bit here and... and uh, this is the end of that verse. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So this is after the, they get up and start running, and the, the cloud turns into a massive storm, a great rain. And now we have this old dude. Have you guys ever seen like the, the pictures, like the little far sides when they're showing pictures of God and the prophets and stuff. There's kind of those old guys with skinny little legs and the big robe. And all I see when I see this every time in my head is that Ahab's heading down in his chariot and we, got, and we got Elijah with his robe hiked up and his little legs going like a little, little whirlwind as he's flying by him because he's running faster than a chariot. And he actually beats Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
But then when he gets here, in verse 19, 1 through 3, Ahab goes ahead and tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So Elijah's about to hit another valley. I don't know if you see this, but Elijah's life is like this, and he's a prophet of God. He's the man. He's speaking for God. Our lives are going to look like that if even, even their lives are going to look like that, right? So anyway, amazing show of power. All the prophets are dead. The rain is coming. The drought is over. God is moving. And then as soon as he gets back, Jezebel wants to kill him. And Elijah seems, it says he's afraid. This has always confused me. You just, do you not know what you just did? And on one hand, I think that happens to us all the time. God will move, and we'll see an amazing thing. We'll see an incredible miracle. We'll see a healing. We'll see a provision. We'll see God move. But the next time we're up against something hard, we forget, and we get afraid. He's afraid of a single woman, so he runs. I don't know if that's wisdom or not. (laughs) But you know, I don't think that Jezebel was really the reason that he ran. If we go on, it says in verse 19, 9 through 10, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Actually, I don't think Jezebel or Elijah was really worried about Jezebel, particularly. A part of him, I mean, he's trying to get away, he doesn't want to die. But I think what he's most upset about is not that this lady still wants to kill him, but nothing's actually changed. This was supposed to be a moment where the spiritual drought and the, rake and the, the physical drought have left. This is supposed to be a, a new time for Israel. They're supposed to have their eyes open and change their ways. That's what he's been working for this whole time was to show Israel that God is God. And after all of this, after this great display of power, nothing's changed. I think that's what he's so upset about. Because for the first time, Elijah is looking as a man, and he's not seeing what God's seeing. For, the, for every other time, no matter what was happening, he was right on point. But after all of this, after this massive climax, now all of a sudden it seems like once again, things aren't going the way he thought they were supposed to be going. Except for this time, all he saw was with his natural eyes. And he wasn't seeing what God sees. Jezebel wanted to kill him was just evidence that nothing had changed, at least as far as he was concerned. He says, look, I've been jealous for you, God, but they've all forsaken you. And I'm the only one that's left because they've killed everybody else and now they want to kill me. He's saying nothing's changed. And here's where we're going to end up. And I will have you know that I've got 41 seconds to be under my time limit that I give myself. So I'm only going to be a little bit over because God loves you. <laughs> 1 Kings 19, 11 through 18 says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind 
an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you should anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him." One thing we always have to remember is that when we get into a valley, you don't have to stay there. God is with you even in your lowest points. Elijah right now is struggling. He figures that, that, that everything has fallen apart, that nothing has changed. And Elijah was very far from where he was supposed to be. You know, the biggest pressure was that he wasn't supposed to run. Now he's got to backtrack. But God still met him where he ran to. I mean, that's good news. If you're running right now, it's time to stop running. But God will meet you where you're at. You can't outrun God. You can't get away from him. God said he'll be there for you. God didn't run even though Elijah did. And even at his lowest, God still had a plan. And he begins to share it with him. He says, look, you see that nothing's changed, but let me show you what I have in motion. All the people that are resisting, they're going to end up dying by the sword, either by the other kings or, going to, or by the prophet that's going to take your place. But there are going to be 7,000 who are still mine. Elisha thought he was the only one. But there were 7,000 more who hadn't bowed to the feet of Baal. They haven't kissed Baal and they were ready to serve him. And it's interesting because he shows him this by, by showing him that, look, God's not always in the spectacular right? The, 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 the storm, the wind came and God wasn't in it. The fire came, God wasn't in it. The earthquake, God wasn't in it. These were the spectacular, the big things. God isn't always in the spectacular and God doesn't always have to do the spectacular to make something move. So in a small voice, he speaks to, to Elijah and he tells him, I'm still with you. I still have a plan. Start seeing things the way I do again. So I just want you to know that if Right now you're in a valley. Begin to listen to that still small voice and see how God will move in your life, how God is going to get you through it. Amen? Hills and valleys are just seasons, and we move through them. You don't have to stay in your valley. Let's go and bow our heads.